Blog Talk Radio.
God's word systematically. Let's pray and get right into the lesson. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day, knowing that this is the day that you have made. We rejoice and are glad. We do thank you for another opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. It is the authority of your word that gives me confidence that make, to, to make boldly known the mysteries of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do really and depend on that Holy Spirit that leads and guides me into the truth. Father, I thank you that the truth shall be revealed. Father, I thank you for him giving me clear articulation of speech and deliberation of thought that I may make boldly known the mysteries of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I may declare them boldly as I ought to today. So, Father, I thank you that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart are acceptable in your sight. You are the giver of my strength and my redeemer, and for that alone I praise you and give you glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. We are continuing our discussion on the overcoming way, advancing through theology, embracing God's big picture. And you know, God has a big picture. He has a big picture for the world. He has a big, big picture for your world. And he has a big picture uh, for how he's going to go about merging the worlds <laughs> to, to conform to the kingdom of our God. And all of us have been chosen, predestinated in him, that we could walk in the fullness of his plan with confidence in life. And so um, we started talking about concepts that we must embrace in order to overcome theologically. We said that it has been our continual goal to affirm the pursuits of knowing God more intimately so that we can serve him more faithfully, to awaken core values that establishes our conviction of the advantages we have as a result of establishing God's word as final authority. And we'll talk a little bit about that <laughs> today in 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 um in this amplifying of the of 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 and review of what it means to be theologically sound. Because now we we're demonizing religious terms because we don't want to do <laughs> enough due diligence to try to um, prepare and be prepared to exemplify the all-holy God. And um, so what we're doing is answering systematically the value of having a theology when the need to overcome arise. That's why the Lord prompted me in this division to go back over theology. I apologize. In Ephesians chapter 1 is where we get uh, a lot of things 
pertaining to what God's plan is for humanity. <clears throat> and actually the entire book outlines really what it means to be a Christian. Um, one person uh, depicted it in their commentary that the book of or the church of Ephesus really modeled the different layers and the accesses that we have to God by faith. <clears throat> so they used the the chapters in the book of Ephesians as chambers or phases of God's process with us ultimately uh, resolving to the last chapter where we are consumed in his love and we have boldness and utterances in the mysteries of the gospel. <clears throat> so in Ephesians 1, it begins to change the connotation and the language of how how the Lord addresses the church. Okay, so we know in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father, my Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us according to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasures of his will. God has a plan. God died for his plan through Jesus Christ. God rose from his plan through Jesus Christ so that life and death, <clears throat> things past, things present, things futuristic, won't stop the agenda that God has. God has a big picture. Now the question becomes, do we know what his picture is? And that's where this particular teaching launches out of. It comes from knowing God's big plan, having confidence and boldness to experience that plan in your world, and then allowing that, those experiences to be a form of light to the world so they can say, what must I do? which means that you have to reconsider how you approach, appreciate, anticipate, answer, and acknowledge God in your life. See, what's happening is, and I learned this when I was studying the nature of God a few years ago. Everything hinders on your perspective. Everything hinges on how you perceive, how you take information, take exposure to experiences, take uh, take or react to reality. Those 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 dynamics all affect how you how you really get God to be involved in your life. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a real uh, touchy area because people automatically assume that you can perceive what's taking place 
in the scheme of history, in the scheme of society, in the scheme of social norms. They feel that you already know these things. And this thing has uh, also, this, this, vo- this void and this vague communication in the lens of faith has become so clouded in the minds of many <clears throat> that even those that we trust to have the knowledge of the truth don't even believe what we believe. And so if we don't examine and, and do some things for ourselves to really see if we're experiencing this quality of overcoming, then that when it comes to sin, you'll never think you'll be able to overcome sin. You'll never think you'll be able to overcome the world. And Lord knows you'll never approach faith in the power of faith and what it can really do for your life. So this is why I said we have to go back to theology. Thank you. Because we have to look at, and, and one of the things that I, I, I've always said is, is this. You got, to be, you got to consider every once in a while how you've been taught. See, everything comes in powers, personalities, patterns, plausible, accepted uh, 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 things, and then, and then really it's really activated on whether or not you're going to really do something personal about it. See, everything, is, everything has, a, has a way that it came to be. And you need to discover what, what holds weight in your perspective, in your in your fashioning your stance and your position in the things of God. Not only in the things of God, but in the things of God as it relates to you exemplifying your personal convictions about God. It's a travesty to walk on the earth, to go around saying you love and serve a God whom you don't know, understand, or appreciate. As a matter of fact, rarely do you acknowledge him. I, and I, now, this ain't for everybody, but this is for some people. You should get to a point in life, you should have been at this point, where you don't exemplify, represent, or stand in the place of somebody you don't understand. One of the things I like about the scripture is that it provokes us to understanding all of our getting, given understanding. See, the Bible is set to bring you in that right standing, that standing, that place, that position to where you achieve what is right from right from wrong, what is God and what's not God. You know, the Bible is set for you to achieve that. And then to build off of that that basis, God is right, the devil is wrong. Because God is right, I focus on what's right. And in looking at why he is right and how he exemplifies his rights, I find out my right. Do you see how how the 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 position it builds off of 
everything that advances builds off of its foundation. And if, if the foundation is not secure, then everything else that's built upon it is also in question. And when you when you say theology, remember I gave a long definition because I wanted y'all to understand. First of all, it's a discipline. Those that diligently seek God find God. You find people saying they want to serve God and they want to do things for God, but they're not willing to do what it takes. You got to diligently seek him. It's a discipline involving a reflection on faith and beliefs. So, so in other words, you got to know what faith is and you got to know what belief is. I'll never forget when um, the Lord began to expand my appreciation about faith. He said, I want you to take into consideration what you think belief really is. Understand what belief is. And there's two studies that I've done. I've done what we consider New Testament belief. And then there was a teaching I did um, last year's closing message, help my unbelief. Because it's not until I acknowledge that I really don't believe this that I can really locate what I actually believe. Amen. Okay. So, in the last lesson, we gave a definition for theology as it relates to coming is a position, it's a perspective in which you have to embrace, not only as a as a as a acknowledging it. You don't just acknowledge something and say I got it. You have to you have to you have to allow it to be a part of the whole process. Uh, and, and that's where uh, the whole process of your perspectives, and, and that's what I mean. Because in order for God to to do something valuable to you or, or for you to see value in approaching God, period, you have to pursue. Those that seek me, find me. And, of course, uh, we use the basis of, of a, co- a concept which I love. I, I told people that if I ever want to be known for something, <clears throat> I want to be known as the father of enlightenment as it results to the Holy Spirit and charismatic renewal. Um, I know that's kind of a bold statement to make, but I know that all forms of enlightenment stems from the source of a sustaining spiritual awareness and awakening it can only take place through the Holy Spirit. And so we talked about enlightenment, that God wants to, the way he involves and he advances us is by exposing us to greater truths. And I told you that you have to be careful not to be like Peter, who tried to create his own exposure, but wasn't prepared for what that, that exposure would present. As a result, he cried out to Jesus. But he should have had enough faith, you see what I'm saying, to continue what he started. Uh, there's another one we always call, uh, another passage in the scripture, Mark, uh, refers to um, this as well in chapter 3. And, uh, of course, y'all know the example of 
uh, and also Matthew deals with this. And then, of course, in John chapter 20, it really talks about this where where Thomas wanted to know for himself proof of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so what people have said, they called him doubting Thomas, but really he didn't doubt because doubt requires fear. He wanted proof. And a lot of us say, hey, I can hear what everybody else is saying, but I need this for myself. Jesus, of course, elevates his thinking and saying, hey, there's going to be some people after you. They ain't going to see, but they're going to believe. And they're going to be blessed because of their belief, which introduces us to the power of belief. But also we see here that Jesus did provide proof to Thomas as well which let me know there's also power in proof because Jesus did come and appear to Thomas and reached out to him and said, touch me, see, feel my hand, so you can see for yourself. So Thomas is another type of, of, of impression or perspective that we have. We don't just do the leap of faith, which we call a leap of faith with, with Peter stepping out of the water. Yeah, he walked on water. Jesus couldn't say no to him. He created it himself. The situation, if it be you bid me to come, could Jesus say no? And it was him? No. It was Jesus. So he had to say yes. Yes is me. He could say, yes is me, Peter, but don't come. But he didn't say that. Because obviously he knew that Peter did have the ability to do what he was doing. But ability embedded in ambitions don't prove you. You know, you don't want to make life a guessing game. That's why uh, Jesus likens the people that follow him as his disciples, as his disciplined ones, as sheep that know the voice of their master. So when he calls, they come. My sheep knows my voice, and the voice of another they will not follow. So, you know, in this particular lesson, I've done a lot more commentary. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give you a system because I believe things are embedded in systems, and the more you're organized in your thought, I always tell people when you're teaching, you need to get to the point and everything because if you have a clear point, nobody will lose what you're trying to say to them. And there are times that explanations are needed in your life for you to achieve and experience God's best to a greater degree than what you're experiencing. And that's not going to be just to getting a point. You you know what I'm saying? But understanding God's overall agenda and big idea. Okay? And that's going to happen through enlightenment. That's why Paul could tell us, hey, you're all of this in a bag of chips. That's what he does in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1. We have redemption through, the, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And he's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, 
having made known to us the mysteries of his will, according to the good pleasures which he had purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times we might gather in one all things in Christ. See, tell us who we are. And whom we also have obtained an inheritance of being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after him, after the uh, counsels of his own will, that we would be together in the praise of glory who first trusted in Christ. He lets us know we got this. And whom we are trusted after that we have heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and whom we also have believed, he was sealed by the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Not only do you have all of these things, but you got the DNA of it. You would think that would be enough to tell the people, you are the person. But he understood something, and the principle goes on. He says, listen, the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase, possession unto the praise of, the glo- of his glory. Wherefore also, after I have heard of your faith, See, all of this was to get us to act on what we believe. He said, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, find out what Jesus has done and you doing what he told you to do, and your love to one another, to all the same. He says, look, I don't cease to thank God in making mention of you in my prayer. He said, I know you need prayer. And he said, this is what I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Wait a minute. Not only does he pray for you to get understanding, but he prays that your perspective on understanding is also Enlightened. Oh Lord, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is his exceeding greatness of his power to us, word who believe. See, it looked like he's repeating verse 13. He said, Listen. You can know that you have something to a greater degree when the understanding that you have is enlightened by your perspective. It's one thing to know that God can. It's a whole other dynamic to know God is. That's why the old Baptist people get happy when they say, God is the joy and the strength of my life. He moves all pain because it's not only saying God will, God can, but it's that God is. God is my all in all. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So so what I'm saying here is enlightenment awakens the perspective that enhances your understanding. And this is what really... uh, serves as a basis and a foundation for you developing yourself theologically. And you know what we've said is that everybody that preaches needs to be enlightened so they can tell us. And you trusted the academic system, which is secular, to train your ministers 
to be enlightened. And they trust that system, which was set up by Satan, to train and influence them to influence you and wonder why God ain't working. And that's because the enlightenment factor, the exposure to the highest perspective in a given matter through experience and profound insights that are normally perceived that are not normally perceived to recognize, they can't they can't relate to that. Why can't they relate to that? Because instead of embracing God's big picture, they've embraced the system to learn belief versus the God who empowers the system of belief. All right? Now, praise the Lord. What are the attacks of enlightenment? I talked about enlightenment last week, gave the definition, but I want to expand it. Number one is the spirit man emasculation. You know what it means to emasculate a man? To to just make his his whole identity when it comes to who he is as a man seem irrelevant. And when I say spiritual emasculation, I'm not uh, uh, hinting for one notion that I don't. I'm trying to generalize our spirit. <clears throat> but I'm saying here. <sighs> What I'm really saying is that we're starving, starving the spirit from supernatural nutrition by merely staying acquainted with God. You know, it's like you got to let your arms link. I'm also saying that you're spaced out. You're inconsistent about your spiritual experiences. This is what I mean by spiritual emasculation. I'm saying you're spaced out. You don't pray enough. You don't have personal devotion. I mean, there's no system to it. There's no order to it. There's no pursuit. That's what emasculates your spiritual development. No one can know the things of a man except the spirit within that man. The, the, the Bible says the natural man cannot attain the things of God because they're spiritually deserved. <laughs> to the point that the comparisons that we make when it pertains to the spirit are spiritually achieved, but if the spirit man is emasculated, if it's starved, if it's spaced out, and if it's sin is acceptable, you know, imperfections are the supreme standards that are, are used as an excuse to lack the regard and the pursuit of righteousness. We say everybody's a sinner. Nobody's perfect. Those things are, are based on a condition of a spirit man or the personality of the spirit that's controlling that person. Is emasculated. It can't build. That's why Paul goes on and says, 
listen, that you will be strengthened in the inner man by his spirit. Because, see, what's happening today is the, the erroneous is eroding also secularized ambition. Secularized ambitions. What do I mean by that? We achieve our dreams over God's plan. We create false senses of security through ambition. We are we are uh, aligning to cultural and community convictions without communications to the Holy Spirit. We trust the past of the world stronger than the voice of God. Then also altering spiritual stipulations to stay with the the sect or group of seeker-friendly Christians. So it's like we're numbing the process. This is secularized ambition considered sacred. You know, these are attacks on enlightenment because the enlightenment fact is is that the understanding that you have about the importance of the Holy Spirit, the understanding that you have about what God has blessed you with, the understanding that you have about what Christ has redeemed you from is more important than what's going on in the world. If the spirit man is emasculated, if your spirituality and enlightenment is secularized through ambitions of the world, then this is going to rob you of really experiencing enlightenment from God. Thirdly is thirdly is spiritless superficial theology. You know, you'll hear this a lot of times if you really study theology or study how people develop their God complex. You'll find out that a theology that is narcissistic, uh, uh, most of these theologies are narcissistic in, in nature. It's always about the person. It's a theology that has no set boundaries of belief. And it's a theology centered around assumptions versus answers. Okay? So that leads me to, okay, what is the elements of enlightenment? What, see, we, we can always attack what attacks enlightenment. But what makes enlightenment enlightenment? Because we as the body of Christ and as the people of God need to know that we have access. This is what Paul was praying. See, if the eyes of our understanding are enlightened, we will know this hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the faith. You, you, <clears throat> I like how the King James um, poses the wording of here on it being God and what the exceeding greatness of his power to us were, not our power toward him. See, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. See, we believe based on his power being at work in our life. That's what enlightenment says. But when we try to create our own exposures, like Peter did 
We're working on our power. And that's where we get in trouble. At least um, Thomas said, hey, I get that we're going to come to a place where we're going to believe without ever experiencing things. But until that comes, let me touch you. Let me experience it for myself. That's a different that's a different approach to you developing a God complex because nobody will ever be able to convince Thomas otherwise what he touched, what he takes and handled for himself. Proof, the power of proof, the power of perspective. These are these are keys to developing strong theology or a strong God complex. God reveals himself through perspectives and proof and power. Everybody, we'll talk about power next time. Before I close, I want to give you what the elements of enlightenment is. It's exposure to light and truth. High regard for the intake of scripture. High regard for historical truth. High regard for prophetic utterances. It's expanding your biblical worldview in light of Christ. Embedding the the value of faith and life. Establishing practical convictions. Existing in a state of spiritual submission. An evolutionary effect, thirdly, is what it takes place. So enlightenment is exposure to light and truth. Expanding your biblical worldview. Evolutionary effect of the spirit of their life. What we're saying is we're adapting to the nature of Christ, atoning from sin to righteousness. That's what the the uh, the New Testament really empowers us to believe that we can achieve righteousness. And then abandoning erroneous uh, living habits. Uh, um, is, is is what also uh, uh, what we mean by the evolutionary effects of the spirit led life because what we happen what we know happens when we are led by the spirit is our life is changed. I want to sum this up next week, but I want you to know that there are some delusions. But we'll let me see about. Want to make sure I don't miss anything. There's some delusions to enlightenment that you need to be aware of. Number one is is awaken the consciousness. You hear a lot of people say they're awakening the consciousness. Consciousness it's another word for conviction. It's the mechanism of the mind which makes uh makes the determining factor for the human of of whether something is right or wrong because they are aware of what is right and wrong. So a lot of times people will say because they have been made aware that they are conscious. You know, so you have a lot of new age people that say, I'm conscious. That don't mean that they're conscious. Just because you're aware. I'm aware that water, you can swim in water, but if I never get in the water and dry it, I'm not conscious of it. I assume I'm conscious of it because I'm aware that people get in the water and swim, 
from my personal consciousness is not awakened until I act on what I'm conscious of. So, you know, you got people, well, anyway, let me give you my notes because I want to make sure I get the, 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 the uh, system in this. So the illusion, um, mistaken as enlightenment, is awakening consciousness. Now, generally, this occurs when from a conflict, conflicting idea of beliefs that erroneous, that is erroneous, that is set in the heart as truth or unbelief that never went through a proper process of faith. Okay? So, what do I mean by a process of faith? That's a very powerful term. And I don't want to give that term under the skies that you know what you're doing when you talk about that. Remember, I told you, you can't limit your definition of faith to one thing. We saw last week that faith is a law, it's a lifestyle, and it works by love, right? But just to live by faith, so you got to get an understanding of what it means to be justified. For what what is, ex, excludes us from being conditioned to sin is the law of faith, so that no man can boast. So there's an order to it or a system of that if you use it and you operate in it, time after time after time after time, it will always yield the same results. So what do I say then? Faith has to be experienced through a process. It has to be given a time allotted to review, revamp, and reform what is considered your reality and your walk of faith. You have to track that reality of faith with efforts that answers (coughs) the question, is it working for me? And then you have to talk with God about his priorities and directives in life. And then you have to trust that you're developing with the Holy Spirit through the way of truth. And then you have to transform to that very nature 